Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Kings, your daily podcast on the Sacramento Kings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we welcome you into another edition of Locked on Kings, the Friday edition as the Kings playing game two of their three-game road trip. They're in Memphis. We'll preview that with the longtime radio voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, Eric Hasseltine, to join us today on Locked on Kings. Lots for us to get to. I'm Jason Ross. Thank you so much for joining us, whether you subscribe to iTunes um, and leave us ratings and reviews there. If you would, kindly do that. Also on Stitcher, Audio Boom. Um, all the different ways you can find us, Google Play as well. We thank you. The numbers have been going up, and I greatly appreciate that. The feedback we've been getting has been good. And just let everybody else know, Kings fans, Hoops Junkies, we are here Monday through Friday for you each and every day talking basketball and certainly talking about the Sacramento Kings. Like I said, lots for us to get into, including Kings, but uh, the NBA world, it was it was just a, a sad day. No way around it on Thursday when uh, word came out around middle of the day that the passing of longtime NBA reporter Craig Sager and Adam Silver released this statement about Craig Sager. I, along with the entire NBA family, am deeply saddened by the passing of Craig Sager. Craig was a vital, was vital to the NBA as the players and coaches. Was as vital, excuse me, to the NBA as the players and coaches. A true original and an essential voice on Turner Sports NBA coverage for 26 seasons Craig chronicled some of the most memorable moments in league history and was a ubiquitous presence with a splat with his splashy suits and equally colorful personality. Craig earned widespread respect for his insightful reporting and inspired so many, most recently with his courage. Our hearts go out to his wife Stacy, his children Casey, Craig Jr., Krista, Riley, and Ryan, and his friends and colleagues. And uh, NBA teams will be observing a moment of silence in Craig's memory and yeah, this one, I mean, you you can't say it came as a 100% surprise, but it also doesn't mean it's not sad. And you know, if you haven't seen the stories on Craig Sager, his battle, his battle with leukemia, multi-time transplant, third time, just had it recently, kept doing games as long as he could, and he, he was heroic. I, I don't know any other way to put it. You can think about what you wanted about him as a sideline reporter in the suits and all that, but let's go to the man the actual human being that was going through life's biggest challenges, trying to fight to live. And he did that, and he did that in his way, in a classy way, in a loving way. And that takes so much courage to go through what he did, how he chose to live his life going through that battle. And he was inspirational. Uh, my family has been touched by cancer far too many times, including my father and, and my son. And we had to go through some of that with him, my son, specifically going through leukemia two different times at birth and later at seven years of age. And then uh, we were blessed for him to go through a bone marrow transplant, and it, he's six years clear of that. But it's it's still scary. 
I know what he had to go through. I know what we had to go through. I know what doctors had to go through. So uh, to Craig Sager and his battle, to his family, to those that he needs a support group. I know how that works. You need a lot of people helping you out. And he had that. Those people fought the fight too. And the one thing I will say about all of this is you just hope that he is not living with, you know, he's not living with the pain anymore of what he had to go through. It's it's trying, it's taxing. And he wanted to take on that challenge because he wanted to live. And 65, he had more to give, but he gave a lot and he had a wonderful life. And uh, the NBA world will miss him, but I think the world should too. Just the perspective on how he chose to live when healthy and when unhealthy. And I think it was pretty amazing. So just wanted to say that to start things out here on this edition of Locked on Kings. Uh, with that, we actually had some four, uh, some more fun mailbag questions that we usually try to get to on our end of the week Friday mailbag. But there's, I'm going to just save those. Just I don't know. I just feel like it today, if, if that makes some sense. But I, I'm going to read some other comments. These are more... Uh, there might be a question in here too, but a couple other emails that I received. And if you want to get involved in the Friday weekly mailbag, um, please do so. Jason.Ross at CBSRadio.com is one way to reach me. Or on Twitter, shorter versions if you'd like to go there, at JasonRoss1140. This one coming in, uh, re- kind of regarding rest. This came to my email, and I was talking a lot about resting players. I'm not a fan of it at all. Kings chose to do that Wednesday against the Rockets. And here's one from a Kings fan. So the Kings have produced quite a few quarters of basketball that have been very bad. And frankly, it's hard to watch sometimes. But I kept watching. Then DeMarcus gave me an idea. He's taking rest because he wants to. I should too. I don't have to watch bad basketball. Let me tell you, not watching the game was great. I didn't feel like I missed anything. So I'd like to pass along the idea to other fans. If your team has players taking the night off because they don't feel like playing and want a break, well, that we, that way we can take a break too. Uh there you go. Uh, also, vote by what you do. It says lower ratings will attract attention. Uh, one thing I will say, you have every right to do that as a fan of basketball, as a fan of the Kings. I don't think this was DeMarcus's choice to take a night off. I, I want to get to the bottom of that. I don't know that 100%, but I think it's a little odd that I think he would play. I really do. I think the organization elected to do this. That's to the best of my knowledge at this point. But the big question I would have is why? There's, there's not a playoff run coming, not at least at this moment. Let's get to that point where you can say, hey, looks like they're going to make a playoff seed. Now maybe rest, but they're far, far from that. Here's another one coming in from Steve, and Steve regularly checks in with us, and we do thank you for this, Steve. Hi, Jay Ross. I had a thought regarding resting of star players uh, issue. Or I have a resting of star players issue and wanted your opinion on it. What if NBA rosters were subjected to place players on some sort of disabled list in order for them to be removed from the active roster for a game? If a player was removed from the active roster without a um, disabled list designation, say seven days-ish, uh, they would be subjected to waivers. Nobody would waive a star player, so teams would be less likely to rest multiple starters in a single game because their bench would be so short, like the Cavs did on Wednesday. Thanks for the podcast. I don't think I've missed any episodes yet. Well, thank you, Steve, for that. And if you had missed episodes, Steve, or any else, you know how to find it. It's on demand. It's here for you. Kind of little snippets on the Kings, NBA 15 to 30 minutes each and every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, I've been, you know, especially with the new CBA, I wonder if there's other ways that owners or teams or fans or players even have recourse in this. Um, I I would hesitate for an organization to say, hey, we'll give you incentives to play 80-plus games. It does them a lot of good for them to be there. But a lot of this is coming from the organizations, 
wanting to rest players, wanting to protect their investment for the playoffs. So I think the league will do what they can if they spread out the schedule more. Uh, the one thing the owners will never do, this, they could help this by knocking down 15 games or so, playing 62, 66, uh, 70 games. Well, that's too much revenue. They're not going to do that. So um, they kind of got us as fans of the sport. You're still going to watch. I was upset with the Cavs doing what they did. I was upset with the Kings doing what they did. I'm still going to watch basketball. I think it's a good game. I, I think it's a healthy game. It's It's a concern of mine, but in the big picture... It's not a deal breaker for me. So, Steve, thank you so much for that email. As we told you, we want to talk a little bit about the Memphis Grizzlies, though, a preview for Kings and Grizzlies, game two of this three-game road trip. Kings, by the way, will close out the road trip Sunday in Dallas. That game time has moved from a 4 o'clock start to 1 o'clock start, at least Pacific time, and that was scheduled months ago. But due to the flex schedule in the NFL, the Cowboys and Buccaneers are now the Sunday night game. And so I think the Mavericks, who are having trouble getting attendance, even though they sell out every game, wink, wink, um, they wanted to move that game up earlier. So we'll see how many fans are actually there for the Kings and the Mavs for a uh, 3 o'clock, I believe, start time in Dallas, 1 o'clock start time uh, here in Sacramento. So there you go. But now let's get a little preview on what we can expect from the Kings and the Memphis Grizzlies. Guy I've called a friend for a long time, went to school together at UC Davis, he uh, used to work at the station at Sports 1140 and now has been the longtime voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and that is Eric Hasseltine joining us here on Locked on Kings. And Eric, 18-9 and nine is impressive for Memphis. Regardless, if they were fully healthy, I would be impressed. But they're 18-9, and nine and the team hasn't been healthy. How have they done this? Well, if you would have told me that, Ross, I would have said, I thought you didn't drink. <laughs> and obviously you've been hitting the booze. Um, no, nah, it's been amazing what it has been, honestly. The season really took a turn um, in about the 10th game of the year. They had lost in Milwaukee, and they dropped to four and five. Everybody that they had beaten in those first nine games, the only wins they had were either against the Grizzlies or they didn't have any. So they really hadn't beaten anybody of any significance. So there was a lot of skepticism. They go to Milwaukee. They don't play real well in the, in the second half and drop a game to the Bucks. They fell behind early got back into it, but really slid down the stretch. And David Fisdale was hot. He was not happy. And so he uh, he led into his team. We, we stayed over in Milwaukee that Saturday night, came to Utah on Sunday, got in. Uh, the team buses went right to the University of Utah to practice. And, uh, you know, the rest of us went back to the hotel. And from what I understand, there was a nice little come-to-the-coach's-office session uh, that happened on mid-court of uh, the, Utah's, the University of Utah's practice court. So, um, they responded in a game a lot of people thought they would probably drop because Utah is very good at home. Uh, they're a good defensive team, and the Grizzlies' offense hadn't gotten on track, really. Uh, and they just absolutely came out and dominated that game from the word go. And so after that game, you're 5-5, five and five, you're feeling pretty good. you got two games left on your road trip. You're playing Wednesday night in Los Angeles against the Clippers, a team that had just hammered you on your home floor with a 30-18 to 18 second quarter. And uh, everybody's like, all right, we'll drop that one. Just make sure you get Dallas and then try to get Minnesota, and you'll be, you know, you'll be seven and six, 13 games in. Well, all they did was go out and really take it right to the Clippers. Had an incredible first half. JJ Redick got hot towards the end, uh, but Marcus All hits a game-winning three, yep. and the Grizzlies go on to a victory. And then they rode into Dallas, tired legs to be expected, fourth game of a trip. Didn't play particularly well on offense, and I think this is the defining game of this early part of the season. 
Dallas it just beat up by injuries. Just not very good right now with the group that they have, and that's through no fault of their own. No Nowitzki, no J.J. Barea. But the Grizzlies' offense uh, literally probably couldn't have hit the ocean if they were standing on the pier. You know, they, they just could not make a shot. But they were so good defensively that Dallas never got clean looks, and they were able to really dominate the game despite the fact they couldn't hit buckets. And So you win that game, and you feel like, all right, well, Minnesota – you know, you beat them on opening night. They're good. They're young. They're talented. They're waiting for you in Memphis. No shame if you go home after this one, after this long road trip, and essentially like another road game because right after that game they were leaving for two more on the road. Um, you go in there and you struggle, and they didn't. They jumped right all over them. They got an offensive role going. They followed that up by going out Monday night to Charlotte and had their best 24 minutes of basketball where they scored, I think, 59 or, you know, maybe even more points than that, but they had 10 threes in the first half alone. They were all shooting 59%. They just dominated. I think they scored 69 points, all season highs, and, you know, held on for a victory there because they kind of let the the Hornets come back into it. And they just kept going. And so the defense has really powered through. Their offense, although not putting up great numbers, um, you know, very similar numbers to when Dave Yeager was here, just it's a different way they're scoring. They've hit 10 or more three-pointers now nine times in the first 27 games. And, you know, by the standards of the NBA, that's not a lot. But here's the kicker. In the previous four seasons, they only did that 18 times. Wow. And so when you're talking about 300, what, dude, let's do the math real quick, 328 games over the last four years, and you have 18 games, where you've hit 10 or more threes, and you've done it nine times in the first 27, it's a different look. And they've been able to erase deficits that way. They've been able to stay in ball games that way, even get leads by hitting threes, including Mark Gasol, who hit three more last night, um, and now I think has 41 made threes when he had 12 for his entire career coming into the year. So um, it's been fun to watch. Now, the excitement is here. They had to let go of Tony Douglas today because they're going to start getting guys back, and they had gotten a granted an exemption um, to the roster because they were full and uh, Tony Douglas was out there and they had, you have to have four guys that are going to miss significant time that have already missed three games and are going to miss at least two more weeks. And they had that with Mike Conley and Chandler Parsons and James Ennis and Brandon Wright. They lost Zach Randolph for a stretch because his mother tragically passed away unexpectedly on Thanksgiving. And so he was with his family and they've been able to, you know, just sustain this, this level of play and the, 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 the signature win certainly has to be Golden State, but they've won games other ways too. They, they came back from a deficit uh, in the fourth quarter against Portland, a good offensive team, and completely locked them out. That, have, that avenged the loss where they blew a nine-point fourth quarter lead. So they've been able to do it different ways, and they have nights where they score, but the one thing they do every single night is defend. And when you can defend and generally hold your opponents under 100 points, you give yourself a chance to win in this league at the, the way it's being played these days. And um, if they don't defend, you know, it could be a long night. But um, the great thing about David Fisdale is he is just uh, all about accountability. If you're not out there doing your job, they'll call you on it right away, and the players have responded. Yeah, and you know the other thing that you know as well as I do, Eric, these close games, they're swing games. They can go either way, but the Memphis Grizzlies yeah. are on the right side of that stat. And with so many guys out, what do you attribute the close game wins? They have so many of them that they've been able to break through in games decided by five points or less. Well, they call it a super clutch stat is what they've been going by. Um, and the league's kind of defining it. Stats Inc. defines it that way. With games that are within three points or go to overtime uh, within the last three to five minutes, I believe. They're 12-0. and 0. The longest streak that they ever found uh, to start a season without 
taken a loss in those situations was 14 by the 05-06 Bucks. And it goes back to defense, Jay. I mean, I go back to that Portland game. They're down 10 to the Blazers towards the end of the third quarter, 8, I think, to start the fourth. Blazers generally don't give up leads because Lillard and McCollum will make every free throw they take down the stretch, and so it's really hard to chip away at leads. But they just made it impossible for them to even get looks at the basket and force the ball out of their hands. Did a great job working together. And Tony Allen has absolutely uh, elevated his play to another level. And uh, and uh, I got my son here finishing up karate, hoping he's not going to beat me up after it. But, uh, so, um, you know, Tony Allen elevated his play. Marcus Sells elevated his play. And the Grizzlies themselves have just come out and really bought into the whole team concept. And the other factor is with Mike out, David Fisdale challenged Mark Gasol and did it in front of the team. Did it on the bench in a game, and Mark was was upset about something a teammate had missed an assignment. And David Fisdale said, hey, instead of sitting there and griping about it and, and kind of talking to yourself, tell him and be the leader that I know you can be. And that resonated with Mark because yeah. Mark is a very cerebral player. He's one of the best centers in the league, if not the best all-around center. You know, you can make cases for DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, I still consider Anthony Davis a power forward more than a center, but you can make a case there. People said DeAndre Jordan, and I just don't think he's as complete a player as Mark is in terms of his offensive skill set. Certainly a tremendous rim protector. Same with Andre Drummond, but... The way Mark is playing this year, Jason, it's back to that year where he started the All-Star game in New York City where he was clearly one of the top 15 players in the league at that time. And I think he's back to that. I think he struggled last year because of the injury um, mentally, not because he wasn't playing well before it happened, but he wasn't quite as aggressive. And uh, when he broke that foot, I think it gave him a little taste of this is what life is like when basketball is taken away from you. And this is how quickly it can happen. He had a scooter that he rode around on. And, I, you know, Mark is a guy that, that, like I said, is certainly very cerebral and doesn't talk a lot. But when he got rid of that scooter, there was a big mm-hmm. smile on his face. And he's been a little more active on social media. And he posted this picture of this metal block in his locker. And it said, I needed you, but I hated you. And now that I don't need you, you're gone, but I'm going to keep you around. So he melted it into a block and keeps it in his locker room oh, wow. where he, you know, where he can be reminded at, at any time that how quickly it can be taken away from him. So what will it be like tomorrow for Coach Yeager to return there? We've heard from him saying it certainly will be emotional. His family, his kids, That's Memphis is the area they knew. He had spent nine years there. What will the reception be like for him, some of the guys he coached, and what do you think that night will be like for, for Coach Yeager in Memphis? Well, Jason, honestly, I hope it is one of respect because he earned that. You know, I, I, There's no secret in this city, and I hope none in Sacramento when you guys hired him. I tried to tell anybody that would listen. I love the guy. I love him as a person. Uh, he's a good friend. He's been a, a longtime friend. You know, I watched him come up as a young assistant under Mark Ivoroni and be one of the very few that survived through the, the coaching change there. Lionel Hollins kept him on staff, groomed him to be his lead assistant, where he thrived helping Lionel uh, you know, define 
what we call the grit and grind era here, you know, where you just get in the mud and you play tough and you play physical and you win games with defense and not with, you know, high powered offenses that take 35 threes a night. We're going to, you're going to know you've been in a fight when you face a Grizzlies team at that point. And I remember the first time I really sat down with Dave, you know, when he was assistant for Mark Averoni and talked to him and I was like, my gosh, this guy's brilliant. I mean, just brilliant basketball mind. And, you know, a guy about the same age as us, Jason, you and I went to Davis together. He's right in that age range and just a fun guy to be around. We developed a bond uh, there. We developed a bond through playing tennis. And so I've always had a lot of respect for him. I thought he took some undue criticism here for play, people saying, hey, you're not developing young guys or you're not doing this. And, um, you know, Dave, Dave doesn't want to play this guy. Or doesn't. Dave wanted to win. Dave, Dave wanted to win when he was here, and he did that. And if not for the injuries last year, every year he's a head coach in Memphis, he wins 50 or more games. And that's just, that's something to say. His his best coaching jobs that I thought he did were the year Marcus Gasol got hurt and they still won 50 games. That was his first season. And then the year that, uh, you know, last year where he held it together and you know, on a stretch they just really struggled. But they still got to 42 wins and got into the postseason when you had your two best players out and then you're you know, your backup point guard who was playing really well in Mario Chalmers popped in Achilles. And, I, you know, I can never forget that feeling of watching Mario go down and just the way in Boston that night flying home, how quiet the plane was. Yet Coach Yeager stayed upbeat and stayed on his guys and said, hey, look, you guys are all here for a reason. And everybody says we're done. Let's not let them be right. And so I hope the response is positive. I think it will be. There were some that questioned, you know, what happened. But as you know, with fans, there's always something that, that some fans will not be happy with. And that's okay. You know, in the end, everybody wants the same thing. They want their favorite team to get wins. And so Coach Yeager uh, did a great job while he was here. I think it's a tremendous hire for you guys. I think that as that roster rounds out and you figure out which direction it's going, because right now it's a little bit in, in dishevels, but you got some pieces you can build around him. When he gets the pieces that will work for his system, they're going to win a lot of bowl games in Sacramento. And I know it's been a drought for the playoffs there, and it's unfortunate because it is one of the best fan bases in the NBA. And right now, it's uh, from what I understand, I haven't seen it yet, the nicest arena in the league now. So you've got a recipe to be able to win some ball games there, and I think you've got a coach that can help you do it. Yeah, I know you guys are going to be here soon to bring in the new year, so you'll get a chance to see it then. Last thing I'll have for you, Eric, so when Conley and Parsons come back at 18 and nine now, how legit of a you know threat would Memphis then be in the West? I think they're a bigger threat than people give them credit for. I, I thought a lot of the pundits all preseason overlooked this team, overlooked the fact that they won 42 games last year without a lot of pieces in place, missing a lot of games due to injury. And everybody said, yeah, but now they're a year older. And now a year Tony Allen gets older, and he's no longer part of what the NBA is all about. And, you know, they didn't really give credit to the work that the team had done prior to those injuries. There was It was right to question whether or not Marcus Gasol could come back and be as effective as he's been. Let's be honest, he's 31 years old and coming off a broken foot. He's playing his best basketball of his career, and it, it's, it just doesn't happen. It's not normal. So... I get that, but, to, you know, I I have Kevin Pelton on my radio show from ESPN every week, and his computer spit out that the Grizzlies would win 39 games 
And as a joke, I said, Kevin, I, I, I love you, but I want to take a baseball bat to your computer right now <laughs> because I think it's wrong and I think it's silly. Um, I think they're a real threat, and I think Golden State found that out the other night. Now, granted, it's one game. I love the rhetoric, though, because no one can accept when these guys do what they've done over the years. No one can ever say, hey, they're just good at what they do. And they're starting to now because they're starting to realize that as – as uh, uh, sorry, my son's trying to join the radio conversation here. Um, as they continue to win ball games, what they did against Golden State was typical Grizzlies, taking away space and freedom of movement around the perimeter. They they basically were able to um, come in and and really get physical with Golden State and take away their open looks, and by doing so, put them on the defensive. And when they went on the offensive, then they moved the ball well. So do I think they're a title-contending team? You and I both know in the end, talent wins out. Golden State has a ton of it. San Antonio has a ton of it. And the Clippers have a ton of it. The Rockets are playing really well right now. And the Thunder have a one-man band that, that if he gets those guys around him to, to really take their game up a notch, they're going to be tough too. But the Grizzlies do have talent, and they have defensive capabilities. And you never know when it gets into a series. Let's just say this team stays on this pace, goes on to win 50-plus, gets home court advantage somehow in the first round, even if they're the five seed, that happened the year they lost to the Warriors in the semifinals. But they overtake Houston, or they overtake the Clippers for that three seed, and they avoid Golden State in that first round. Well, their arch nemesis really has been the Spurs over the years. So it would be interesting to see those two defenses go toe-to-toe if they met in the semifinals. They get in there with the Warriors. The problem there becomes if they get on a roll, it's really hard to match their threes. But the one thing I know is no matter who the opponent is, first round, second round, even further, it's going to be the most physical series those teams are going to have played. And if you've played an entire season not playing physical basketball, and now you got a group of guys that are coming in to try to punch you in the mouth and see how you respond, it can be a problem sometimes. So I think they're really good. I think I love you too, buddy. I think that they're really good, and I think that they have a lot of positive aspects and things going for them. And I think that you know they could shock some people. I don't honestly believe that, that they can defy the odds and win a title this year, but I think as Coach Fisdale keeps this team going and they continue to develop young talent and get a cohesion with Parsons coming back healthy and Conley and guys like James Ennis that maybe people haven't heard of or Jermichael Green take that next step, it's going to be a really tough out, Jason, and it's a lot of fun to watch. I, I've always been an offensive-minded guy in every sport. I love watching great hitters in baseball, even though I like watching pitching and defense. I love watching quarterbacks throw it all over the yard, even though I like watching a solid defense in the NFL. And I love up and down hair on fire basketball. But having been the voice of this team for the last 15-plus years now, um, I really enjoy watching them play defense because it's not just hold the ball, minimize possessions, and we're just going to try to maximize the clock and, and, and hide our shortcomings. They get after you. They're not afraid to run, but what they do, and it's very similar to what Dave Yeager did here at times, they make you work so hard on the offensive end that then the game shortens up that way a little bit. Their defensive numbers are off the charts. They don't shoot the ball particularly well, but they take advantage of the opportunities you give them as well as any Grizzlies team I've seen. Well, it's fun to watch their development. I know we'll see here, like we said, in about two weeks. Eric, thank you for the time. You and your son, enjoy your time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Say goodbye, Sacramento. Goodbye, Sacramento. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you, buddy, and I uh, appreciate you having me. I, I, I always miss home. I can't wait to bring the boy back there and uh, see his pop's old stomping grounds, and I'm really happy for uh, 
uh, the Kings organization with the, their brand new building that I can't wait to see. And I think a great coaching staff, not just big, but the guys he brought with them uh, that I consider to be like family as well. So uh, hopefully everything on the uptick there as well. And uh, happy holidays to you and your wife and, and, and Jackson. And, you know, give all the Ross clan my love, please. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. We'll see you soon. You got it, buddy. All right, that's Eric Hasseltine. My thanks to him and those of you checking in on the mailbag and all of you following each and every episode each day, all week. I do thank you for that. Make sure you keep it here to Locked on Kings. We'll be back on Monday for another podcast. We'll recap the Memphis game. We'll recap the Dallas game and get you ready for the week ahead. But that's it. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of Locked on Kings. You are Locked On Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17